0: My name is Dr. Tram Jones, and since 2019, my wife and I have been living in Haiti. This is the story of our life there and the patients we've seen. My wife and I, just like every clinic employee, see hundreds of children. To me, it's similar to how I saw patients in the United States. In the U.S., I could never really remember patients' names. If I saw them outside the context of a doctor's room, I really wouldn't recognize them. But if we sat down together in the consultation room, and I had their chart in front of me, suddenly a flood of memories came to me. We could talk about their family and neighborhood and the struggles of their disease. It was really rather bizarre. It must be some form of compartmentalization. And I don't know if that's healthy or not. But occasionally, there are patients that break out of that compartment and into your life. And you just love them. I want to tell you about one of these patients named Harriet. Harriet came to us in an unusual manner. When we treat children with malnutrition, usually they are identified by community health workers who comb the mountain communities searching out suffering children. But Harriet was different. One average Tuesday, her grandmother brought her directly to the clinic. One of our triage nurses came inside and notified me that there was a sick child outside who looked to be suffering from acute malnutrition. I asked her to get the vital signs and send her in. That day, Hannah and I were working together in the same room on some administrative items for Light from Light. Hannah's job is to run the organization that funds the clinic. She is the one who raises money, manages the finances, and is the only reason the lights are still on at the clinic. We took a break from our collaboration, and Harriet entered with her grandmother. She certainly looked skinny, but more than anything, she looked totally exhausted. We had her sit down, and I asked her grandmother to remove her shirt so we could examine her. The next moment was a bit shocking. Hidden by her baggy shirt, Harriet's shoulders were emaciated. Her stomach unnaturally protruded, evidently filled with fluid. Her back was all bone, with no subcutaneous fat. Hannah and I were stunned. She was suffering from a combination of both kwashiorkor and marasmus. Kwashiorkor is the fancy name for the swelling of the body that occurs in starvation, when there is not enough protein to keep fluid in the blood vessels. It leads to liquid collecting in the abdomen and legs. Merasmus is the other side of the same coin. A lack of nutrients leads to loss of fat in a markedly thin frame. She had one of the worst cases of both of these. And Harriet was different from the other children that we had cared for. For one, she was six years old. Almost all, more than 95%, of children who suffer from malnutrition are less than the age of two. Usually, if you can help them reach 24 months, they will survive to adulthood. But Harriet was gravely ill, even at an older age. As we talked to her grandmother, we realized that Harriet was unique in other ways. First, her grandmother was from Peschenville. A little geography and history lesson. Peschenville, historically, is the wealthy suburb of Port-au-Prince. Once upon a time, it was separated from the mass of the capital city. You could drive up and up above Port-au-Prince. Its altitude was such that it was cooler and gave a beautiful view of the valley below. Wealthy government officials and businessmen, lived in the area, in prosperity, and with little French cafes and restaurants. Slowly, though, as people from the countryside came to the city, the mass of Port-au-Prince started to become confluent with the suburb, until one day when this process was irreversibly sped up. On January 12, 2010, the ground shook and a massive earthquake destroyed most of the buildings in Port-au-Prince. In the next year, a wave of now homeless citizens fanned out across the metro area. ten cities, and later slums, were created from Peschenville all the way down the mountain to Bouquet and beyond. The wealthy Haitians continued to move farther and farther up the mountain to avoid the urban sprawl. So when we say that her grandmother was from Peschenville, she was from a nice area of town, but she wasn't wealthy. However, in Pechenville, there are many of the best clinics in the city. Why had she come all the way to Bouquet, a dusty, poor outskirts city? Her grandmother told us that she had visited three different clinics in Pechenville in the last few months she had been desperately worried about her granddaughter. Each clinic had simply said that Harriet was suffering from anemia and had given her some iron and some vitamins. I can see in my mind's eye how this happened. With an overflowing clinic with 60 to 70 patients to see every day, I expect the doctor simply ordered basic labs on the patient with a cursory glance. Once the doctor saw that the patient was suffering from anemia, this became the diagnosis. This seemed to be a sort of example of anchoring bias when an obvious diagnosis obviates the need to search for further issues. Either way, Harriet had been passed from doctor to doctor until her grandmother met a nurse who was one of the many nursing students who trained at the Lisboa Moon Clinic. The nurse told her that there was a clinic in Quade Bouquet that might could help her granddaughter. To anyone who lives in Haiti, the idea of leaving wealthy Peschenville to go down to Quati Bouquet of all places is comical. But the grandmother made the trip, and now was sitting in front of us. As we spoke with Harriet, her face was lean and drawn, and she was too weak even to speak more than a few words. I told the grandmother that we needed to hospitalize her, and that Lisboa Moon would pay for everything. Occasionally, however, parents do not want to put their children in the hospital for a variety of reasons, so I timidly asked if this was okay with them. The grandmother replied emphatically that she had been waiting for a clinic to say this. She had been seeing her granddaughter melt away in front of her eyes. And so, at the end of the day, we transported the two to our partner hospital and ensconced them in the waiting room. I asked the grandmother if there was family that could visit to help her. She told us no. Harriet's mother had died years ago, and her grandmother was now the only mother that Harriet had ever known. The father was not in the picture. She would have to go it alone. After talking with the nursing staff at the hospital, we bid them farewell and promised to come visit. Two days later, Hannah and I stopped by the hospital to visit Harriet. As we arrived, we discussed her case with the attending pediatrician. An x-ray had shown a near whiteout of the right lung, and a test of Harriet's spit had confirmed the diagnosis. Harriet was suffering from pulmonary tuberculosis. This explained much about the case, particularly Harriet's advanced age for malnutrition. Back in the old days, tuberculosis had been called consumption, a reference to the extreme weight loss that victims suffered. This weight loss would cause immune suppression, decreasing the patient's ability to fight the infection, thus leading to worsening tuberculosis, and then more weight loss. This circle then spiraled to the point of death. We hurried over to the isolation ward. Fortunately, our coronavirus N95 masks also doubled to protect us from tuberculosis. We were greeted enthusiastically by Harriet's grandmother. Harriet, however, was lying on the bed, listless. She had been started on a four-drug regimen for tuberculosis. She was still very weak, barely able to move. Her abdomen continued to be swollen, and flies that came in through the open door were buzzing around the room. We sat with her and her grandmother and tried, mostly unsuccessfully, to cheer her up. Her grandmother said that all Harriet talked about was wanting to go to school. We understood. This is a common theme among all the children that we meet. School is a privilege in Haiti, and children desperately want to go. But right now, Harriet was in a fight for her life. It would be a long path back to health. By this point, Hannah and I had both come to have a soft spot for Harriet. We knew we would be back to visit her. Over the next three weeks, we came to visit Harriet every three or four days. I can't say that this is normal for us. I try to visit all of our hospitalized patients at least once, but something about Harriet had drawn Hannah and I. Perhaps it was the fact that she was old enough to talk with us and to know that she was suffering. Or maybe it was just her personality. We brought her paper and markers for her to draw pictures for her physicians. After a few weeks, she was strong enough to make a slow walk with us around the hospital grounds, masked up, of course, to protect the other patients from her TB. As we walked, she asked us, at age six, if we could pay for her to be able to go to elementary school. Words like this from a child who just wants to get an education are heartbreaking. We told her we wanted her to focus on getting better for now. But I don't know if I will ever forget a six-year-old child in the hospital suffering from tuberculosis and malnutrition, worrying about the finances of an education. We finished our walk and dropped her off with her grandmother. Finally, the next week, she was able to leave the hospital. After she left, she continued on a four-drug regimen for tuberculosis, and we followed her in the clinic every two weeks for nutrition support. With her medications and nutritional support called Plumpy Nut, her transformation was difficult to believe. Every time we saw her, she looked more and more like a normal girl. This continued for two months, and now she has graduated to a different level of care, and we only see her every month. Each time, she runs up to me and gives me a big hug and then asks for Hannah. Hannah comes and picks her up. She's just as strong as any six-year-old. In the description of this podcast, you can see a link with before and after pictures. It's nothing short of a miracle. In the world, the deaths of 3.1 million children per year are due to a root cause of malnutrition. And around 1.6 million deaths are due to tuberculosis. These scourges deserve just as much attention as coronavirus, which killed 1.8 million people last year. Harriet beat the odds. And the only reason that she was able to be successful was because of the clinic that two Haitians, Carmel and Pierre Val, have built in Quadi Bouquet. For doctors and nurses in Haiti, you cannot have a close personal relationship with every patient. There are just too many, but a select group will worm their way into your hearts like Harriet. And this is important. It creates a glimpse into the lives of your patients. It reminds you that this is a living, breathing, feeling human, one who has hopes and dreams for the future. And it gives you the extra push that you need to be able to take care of the next one. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from Life Here We are simply telling stories as we've seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history. And there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets. And we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.